and welcome to Tasting Room Radio. I'm Terry David Mulligan. I wish I had better news. You know, we always want wine and food and travel and destination to lift your spirits, but there's a, a bit of a bit of a war going on between Alberta and the liquor distribution branch there and the wines of BC. We've been there before, but for slightly different reasons. This one is pretty basic. They made a list of all of those wineries that were shipping wines directly to their uh, friends, their uh, wine club members in Alberta. There's lots of them. And they said, cease and desist. We will take your wine from our shelves in Alberta. And this comes at a time when all wineries, big and small, especially the small, are all those farmers are battling to just stay afloat given the two wicked winters that uh, killed a lot of their vineyards, those precious vineyards. So we're going to have a conversation with uh, Al Hudick, lawyer, wine specialist, and Sandra Ofield, who is a troublemaker, and I love her for that. She was uh, one of the owners and the chief winemaker at Tinhorn Creek and now runs a consulting business called Elysian. We're going to follow it up with two interviews that happened before we had this conversation and all this news came down. One is with my friend John Weber, who's the co-founder and the chief winemaker at Orofino in the Similkameen. It had been a while. I wanted to get caught up on his releases. And Alex Nell, the wonderful new winemaker at Fort Barons in Lillooet. He came to us from Africa. So we'll talk about um, Orofino in the Similkameen, Fort Barons in Lillooet, and then we'll talk about wines, the, the shape of BC wine in general between our, our friends in Alberta and British Columbia. Here we go. This segment of Tasting Room Radio is brought to you by Hillside Winery and Bistro on the Naramata Bench. Well, Valentine's Day is coming up, and we ask the question, what's even better than a bouquet of roses? A bundle of rosés. They've put together a special Valentine's Day-themed six-pack, two bottles of Below the Rose Rosé, three bottles of Hillside Rosé, and one Soiree en Rosé Fortified. In order to receive those bottles by February the 14th, order your bundle by Wednesday, February the 7th, and enjoy complimentary shipping on your bundles. You can find all the details at hillsidewinery.ca. Hello, I'm Terry David Mulligan, and this is uh, Tasting Room Radio. Let me just read something here from Ron Kubek, who's the owner of a winery in the Okanagan. This was published, by the way, in the Edmonton Journal, I think today. I'm writing to express our concerns and share our experiences as a family-run winery facing significant challenges when it comes to selling our products in Alberta. It has come to our attention that the Alberta Gaming, Liquor, and Cannabis Commission is imposing restrictions that not only limit consumer choice, but also favor foreign and large Canadian wineries over smaller made-in-Canada operations like ours. As proud owners of Lightning Rock Winery, a British Columbia-based family-run winery, we have always strived to comply with all provincial and federal regulations. However, the AGLC's recent actions have raised concerns about the fairness of the playing field for wineries like ours. There's, there's more that goes with that, but that's, in a nutshell, one of the thoughts we're going to be dealing with. I have uh, with me Al Hudik, uh, who is the uh, Kelowna representative, runs a Kelowna office for Ferris LLP, and Sandra Ofield, founder of Elysium Projects, former winemaker and f- flag carrier at uh, Tinhorn Creek. Sandra, is it okay if I start with Al and uh, just get the lay of the land? Absolutely. Al, what the hell is going on in the uh, 
wine business between BC and Alberta. Yeah, it's absolutely unbelievable that, what is it, 15 years almost when you walked across the border and then Sandra tried to ship a rifle across the border. I mean, and we're still talking about this. It's it's silly. And a lot's happened in the interval. The, the, the federal government in 2019 totally took away any federal prohibition on interprovincial shipment of wine. And so did uh, Alberta. Uh, their regulations permit the interprovincial shipment of wine, but their regulator has taken the view that import doesn't mean shipping. Import means physically carrying it across the border, and which a citizen can do, but it's not practical to do in a hot car in the summer, but you're not allowed to ship. So it's just a silly bureaucracy, right? Um, Sandra, when did you first hear of this, and, and how did it come at you? How did you hear um, I heard it from a winery in the Okanagan about an hour after they received the letter. And in that hour, they had already contacted many other wineries and found out that they had received the letter as well. So by the end of, I'd say, the first day of this letter going out, there was upwards of about 50 or so that were that were known to have gotten the letter. I still, to this day, don't really, I'm not in the know. I do not know how many wineries got the letter, but it's my understanding that the majority, if not all of the wineries that got this letter from the AGLC are wineries that currently do business with the AGLC. In other words, um, they uh, sell their product legally um, uh, onto shelves and into restaurants in the province and those wineries that that do not do that my understanding is those wineries did not get this letter in other words they could still be shipping wine direct to consumer out there but if they're not on the shelves they did not get the letter and the, and the threat was of course to, to pull the product from the shelves the the timing of this these letters is just cruel is is maybe it was intended maybe it wasn't i don't know but we're For just... sure. I know Alberta may not know what we're going through out here in BC, but you'd think that the provinces at least read news or talk to one another. But it was a very tone deaf thing to send out, I think, particularly at this time in the industry. I mean, now you're in Kelowna. We've been reading and talking about the fires of last year, the smoke. Uh, right. Devastating. And then, and then the road closures and then the freeze two winters in a row. Select but damage first time, major the second time, just when these wineries are just hanging on by their fingernails in some cases, especially the small ones, they get this letter saying, well, you, you cannot ship directly to some of your best customers. That's right. I mean, the, the freeze in, in 2023 was not small. It was 57% bud damage so the 23 vintage is about half of what it would have normally been and the early numbers coming in from the frost in january 12th to 14th i think uh, are more like 80 90 percent bud damage so we may well not have a 2024 vintage throughout the valley it, it's that serious and the and the the open question is uh how much uh, uh, vine kill has there actually been? Last year, there was about, I think, 29% of the vines were killed. This frost was much colder and much more prolonged. So to the extent that vines are killed, it's a three or four year process to replace them, right? To be honest with you, Terry, I mean, let's face it, in one sense, 
Alberta sending that letter saying stop selling to our customers or we will we will take you off the shelves <laughs> may be a moot subject for a lot of wineries this year because they well within a year will not have the, possibly the amount to send to them anyways but that that is to me not the point of this the point is that at a time when the industry is hurting is when you need all your options open to you you need to have a full range of geographical places and channels to send your products to so that you can make the best decision on where to serve your customer the best and limiting options right now that this is the worst time to do that sandra what are you hearing from your neighbors around you and just the general grapevine it's really chaotic i will say that the one thing that i'm hearing the most is just a lot of people talking i'll call it venting and there's a lot of venting going on right now and solutions will come for sure but there's just a lot of people that don't feel heard and they just want to be heard and i i feel bad for them i you know i was in this industry for a long time i consider myself still in and and hopefully the industry understands that the health of the wineries is not just the health of the wineries it's the health of every business around them that supports that industry and you know we're all feeling um the pain in one good sense i take a long view of this easy enough for me to say that but I do take a long view in that with challenges like this so extreme, I I really do feel we will we'll come out on the other side of the stronger, but we don't need to be kicked in the kneecaps by governments that um, are doing things that I feel are illegal in the first place. Um, and I really can't figure out the motivation for it. And so, you know, getting back to the Alberta thing, um, I just, I know there must be some reasons behind the scenes for this, but we don't really know what those would be. Is it just a cash grab or what? Is it a political stance? What is it? Al, what do you think? What they're starting to say in the newspaper, they didn't say in the letter what was bugging them, but I think what's bugging them is the loss of provincial liquor tax on direct-to-consumer sales. But the industry has said to them repeatedly to try to solve that problem, that just authorize us to collect the tax and we'll collect it and we'll remit it. It's the 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 Alberta tax is relatively mild. It's two dollars and seventy five cents a bottle yeah. of wine. So that's the solution, right? That's the solution. Sandra, what would it cost just off the top of your head for me to, if I were living in Leduc to get a case of um, uh, painted rock? I mean, you're going to usually pay upwards of about thirty or so dollars, maybe $40 to get that shipped out to you in Alberta. Okay, okay. To get it shipped out to you. But, but for example, Painted Rock, because we people understand the profile, they are on the shelf, 40 50 $60, $70 wines, right? Yes. Okay, so where does this argument come that they're protecting the young drinkers of uh, underage? <laughs> uh, no, it's are, not. These, yeah. yeah, these are it's regulators <laughs> who don't understand the market, right? These are high-end premium, super premium wines ordered by the case. Nobody is going to steal their mom's credit card and order a case of painted rock for Friday night, right? It just, they don't understand. And they don't understand that somebody in on Alberta ordering a case of painted rock, that, that that's going to somehow reduce sales in liquor stores and uh, 
restaurant. To the extent that people develop a taste for higher end, better quality wines, that increases the amount of wine they buy from their local retailers and yeah. restaurants as yeah. well. The, the, the regulators just don't understand the market. Mm-hmm. I mean, what Al says, that is the crux of it, is that wine that goes out direct to your biggest ambassadors does not take away from the wine that they still buy in retail and at restaurants. In fact, what it normally does is you're got you're given you you purchase a sampling of those wines that that winery does well, and then it spurs you sometimes to go and buy either more of that wine right at the local store that you're near, or that variety of wine um, from another producer at your local store. So the idea that it's cannibalizing what's on your shelf is wrong first of all and secondly i think bc as its own is its own best experiment for this bc opened its doors to direct to consumer sales many years ago i mean al how many years ago was that that was like 13 Quite years ago, ago it opened Quite a while ago. yeah and basically it had no effect on the local producers here in a negative way so like ontario for years, over a decade, has been able to send their wines direct to consumers in BC. And that has not at all affected the BC market. So, you know, I just I just feel like there's just not a good case to be made for not being able to open, um, especially reciprocality. I mean, we're getting away from Alberta and into Ontario, but reciprocal nature of opening up the borders is, is not going to cause an issue with the home market. Just a follow-up, Ron Kubik from the owner of uh, Lightning Rock says in Summerland, what adds to our bewilderment is that while the AL, uh, AGLC prohibits uh, direct-to-consumer wine shipments, they allow, the, they allow the direct delivery of marijuana and mushrooms to consumers. Why is it that wine, a product deeply rooted in Canadian history and culture, faces such barriers while other products are granted easier access? I want my cannabis. Yeah. Man. Well, I, I think part of that is because <laughs> cannabis is new and they when they came in, they had seen the issues that were going on in alcohol and they were seemed to have been able to stem some of those problems um, right out right out of the gate. I mean, that's my assumption, because um, we are still stuck with some laws here that go, you know, back way towards prohibition times and and new new products like cannabis are not having the same issues. This segment of Tasting Room Radio is brought to you by Hillside Winery and Bistro on the Naramata Bench. Well, Valentine's Day is coming up, and we ask the question, what's even better than a bouquet of roses? A bundle of rosés. They've put together a special Valentine's Day-themed six-pack. Two bottles of Below the Rose Rosé, three bottles of Hillside Rosé, and one Soiree en Rosé Fortified. In order to receive those bottles by February the 14th, order your bundle by Wednesday, February the 7th, and enjoy complimentary shipping on your bundles. You can find all the details at hillsidewinery.ca. This segment of Tasting Room Radio is brought to you by the Okanagan Wine Festivals. These are just some of the events ahead. A New Year's sparkling celebration at Bench 1775, February the 10th. Valentine's Day, you can enjoy the Sweetheart Dinner at Inkabeep Cellars, See you later, Ranch's Valentine's Dinner, or Summer Hill's Valentine's Extravaganza. And February the 22nd, it's the Aging Gracefully Vertical Series at Ex Nihilo, or 
At Township 7, indulge your senses while you leap into your cellars. Embrace the rare occurrence of the leap year as they uncork vintage library wines. Find all of the details at thewinefestivals.com. I have uh, with me Al Hudik, uh, who is the uh, Kelowna representative, runs a Kelowna office for Ferris LLP, and Sandra Ofield, founder of Elysium Projects, former winemaker and f- flag carrier at uh, Tinhorn <laughs> Creek. Remind people uh, the short story of your shotgun, and then a follow-up question will, will be there. Well, I mean, I don't know, many years ago, I don't know, 13 or 15, I can't remember. Yeah, I just wanted to show that it was easier to buy a gun online and get it shipped across the border to me in BC than it was for me to be able to ship a case of our wine. So I purchased a shotgun. I think at the time, I want to say it was either Manitoba or Saskatchewan. I still own it. And if I was not in my car today, I was going to have it at my house and show you my shotgun. (laughs) But I felt that bringing it into a car and I'm kind of parked next to a kid's playground. Could you do that? Could you still do that today? But, you know, here's the deal. I bought that gun for a reason was to make the point that, you know, there I was. I put the credit card on. I showed him that I had a a PAL license. Um, Out came the gun within a week. But I was still not allowed to do the same thing to ship my 12 bottles uh, of wine to other provinces. Now, I've held on to that gun and I've said all along, like, I will sell that gun at auction you know, with a bunch of wine, maybe my whole cellar, if they ever make it so that this is not an issue across all of Canada again. I still own that gun for a reason. And the reason why I own it is because this is still a topic that has not been settled in Canada. Sandra Ofield, shotgun Sandra. Um, (laughs) Al, what's the response been from BC, uh, from legal and from uh, government? We've talked to Minister Farns, Farnworth, and he's talking to the minister in Alberta, uh, who is strangely is the the men, minister in Alberta. His mandate from the premier is to reduce round ta- red tape around the AGLC and to increase uh, AGLC revenues. And permitting uh, these shipments seems to be the easiest way to to do that. They they've got no effective way of monitoring the border there's no border controls between provinces and so having us collect the tax for them achieves red tape reduction plus increases their government revenues and 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 we are trying to have that kind of intelligent discussion with him uh what they did in the letter is so outrageous that we could go to court and get a judicial review and an injunction against it and we did that once before when they shut down shipments of BC wine because they were concerned about whether BC was too slow to give Tidewater access to the pipelines. And we took them to court and they backed off within a month and we could do the same this time, but we'd like to permanently resolve in a sensible way this irritant between the provinces that's existed for 20 years, right? Mm. Hey, Terry... I was going to say, if you want to hear um, how really bad it was in the past, I got one of these letters when I was at Tinhorn Creek in the mid-2000s from the AGLC, similar letter, and I know it wasn't a typo, but in it, they actually told me that they were going to have the British Columbia BCLDB, our liquor board, 
pull our wine off the shelves in our home province if we didn't stop shipping direct to consumer in Alberta. Now that was an eye opener because that was one province actually telling me that the province I'm in that licenses me was gonna be pulling off my home product, which is ridiculous. So, I mean, I'm sure they learned something from that letter, but not much. Dan Pazinkowski, Pazinkowski, the president and CEO of Wine Growers Canada, is a quote, maybe the situation will create an opportunity for the direct-to-consumer model to finally be implemented to stop this from ever happening again. And Dan Albus, I saw a quote from him uh, saying, um, small wineries need the direct-to-service. They don't produce enough to go onto those shelves, and they need to be able... So maybe it's time... For the Canada Post Act is what Dan Albus is suggesting. What do you think? Yeah, I, this was all silly 15 years ago, and it's super silly now. And anybody that talks about it and tries to understand it recognizes it. It's it's time to, to resolve this issue finally. And I think this, I kind of agree, this is probably going to be the catalyst to a permanent resolution. Uh-huh. Well, I'd sure like to get rid of my gun, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe what we need here is a wine envoy. That's what we yeah. need. We need a you spokesman know, for the industry, not only yeah. to deal with issues like this, but as the national market develops and opens up here, and as proud Canadians, we should all be embarrassed that we don't have a national wine market, but we need somebody to step out and advocate across the country for the development of a truly national market for wine. I always found it was interesting, Carrie, that the federal government paid for a wine ambassador to present um, Canadian wines at like other embassies around the world. Like that is an actual position, but that we never uh, have been able to figure out how to do that for our own for, for our own population. Yeah. yeah, I would nominate Sandra to do this job. Mm-hmm. I want it. I'll take it. <laughs> I wanted to this time. I wanted to be a paid position. Sorry. <laughs> I should hope so. Now, here's the thing: uh, the the listener, the consumer. I don't know that there's a lot that BC wine fans and drinkers can do other than support their their wineries, their local wineries. What can the Albertan wine fan do? What do you think? Well, they've already they already do it. I mean, they speak with their credit card. Um, they they contact wineries they ask if they ship um the wineries mostly say that they do and they ship that wine across the border and i mean they pay the industry back in huge ways by vacationing out here in all seasons and taking wine back home with them um certainly word of mouth they order it at restaurants. So like, there's nothing new or different. I think that the Alberta consumer needs to do. This is not, this is not a lack of support or a need for support by Alberta consumers. In, in my estimation, it's, it is at a different level. This is a governmental issue. Totally agree. Dan's latest survey of consumers indicates that 85% of Albertans would like to see these interprovincial trade restrictions gone. We have pretty much the hundred percent support of the Alberta consumer. Al, what do you what do you figure it would be like for consumers over the next month or six weeks or however long they walk into their favorite store and there's no BC, nothing. 
that's right. I mean, well, the same to show how unfair this was and precipitous this was. The letters came out on the 22nd, and on the 22nd, they started to turn back trucks of BC wine from the government uh, warehouse. So every day, the Alberta consumer is going to see less less BC wine on the shelves, less BC wine on the menus, and we will lose market share to foreign imports. Mm. And uh, the longer this goes on, the more harmful it will be and detrimental to the consumers who have been extremely supportive of BC wine. It's a national embarrassment that we don't have a national, every other country in the world that's a wine producer consumes mostly their own wines. And that's not happened in Canada simply because of bureaucracy. Mm. It's an embarrassment. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just by the main fact that you started this conversation today using words like export and import um, of wines across provincial border is an offense to me because I only think of the words export and import being across borders yeah. of two countries. <laughs> and the fact that we're having to use those words as across, you know, the, a, a provincial border is is wrong for sure. I, You know, I will say... Um, you know, I, I'd i like to stay hopeful on this, but at the end of the day, the BC producer has to choose where their wines will go. My, my assumption is what's going to happen here in the future is that um, the, the wineries that we're sending out, a, they're going to take a look. How much were we shipping out to the Alberta Liquor and Control Board and how much are we shipping to Alberta customers? And they're going to make a choice on which one of those markets to pick. Yeah. And we all know um, right now that uh, I, I would say the majority of wineries that have a any kind of a robust wine club are going to be choosing to stick with the wine club and not with the AGLC. So again, what this has done is the AGLC is going to be losing um, revenue but also consumers out there are going to be um, supporting more imports just due to the fact that there's fewer choices on the shelves. How mad are you, Sandra? Well, I mean, I, I'm i pretty calm about this all the time. And then when I heard about this letter, I just got so pissed <laughs> off again. And, uh, and again, I, I literally did go to that effing gun that was in my um lockup because because you know i i really had i really see it as a symbol for me of of an unfinished work that needs to be done if i'm still looking at it the answer is there's still a problem and i really want to auction it off and so um the fact that a 12 gauge shotgun is easier than 12 bottles of wine for me is a very simple metaphor that I think we can all understand we all are upset by it. But why why is it that the people that are making decisions about this are not under are not empathetic with this point of view I, by the, the majority of the consumers? Well, what are we doing in Canada? It's easier for John to sell painted rock in London and Paris and New York than mm-hmm. to have it served in a restaurant on on Bay Street. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank you for this. This is, I, I just want, I, I, after all of the stories of the small wineries desperately holding on, this is just a, a, a weight that some of them simply can't 
sustain and they, they will go under. I hope that we get it worked out and maybe the conversation helps. Maybe Terry, we need to do another something else. Like I don't, I'm not saying you need to take another trip to, you know, the Rockies, but maybe we need to do something else like with you because you're such a good proponent of this topic. So, well, we'll if somebody say. comes up with the idea, <laughs> I'm open. <laughs> I, I, I saw a couple, a, a picture of some Albanians from the early 1900s walking across the border in Albania with these uh, wine skins that looked like it was a whole pig <laughs> sort of skin filled with wine. Maybe do that this time. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right. Thanks, we are Terry. Canadians for Pete's sake. Al Hudik um, from Ferris LLP uh, runs a Kelowna office. He's going to be busy. And uh, Shotgun Sandra Ofield, uh, founder of Elysium Projects and former winemaker at Tinhorn Creek and a spokesperson for all who know her. And we listen carefully. Thank you both. I appreciate it very much. Thanks, thank Terry. you, Terry. Thank you, thank you, thank Good you. Good luck. Let's Bye. all get along. This segment of Tasting Room Radio is brought to you by the Okanagan Wine Festivals. These are just some of the events ahead. A New Year's sparkling celebration at Bench 1775, February the 10th. Valentine's Day. You can enjoy the Sweetheart Dinner at Inkbeep Cellars, See You Later Ranch's Valentine's Dinner, or Summer Hill's Valentine's Extravaganza. And February the 22nd, it's the Aging Gracefully Vertical Series at Ex Nihilo, or at Township 7, Indulge Your Senses While You Leap Into Your Cellars. Embrace the rare occurrence of the leap year as they uncork vintage library wines. Find all of the details at thewinefestivals.com. This segment of Tasting Room Radio is brought to you by Mount Boucherie Estate Winery. February the 13th, they're going to be watching the Era's Tour movie on the big screen over the loudspeakers. There'll be uh, Taylor trivia, nibbles from the modest butcher, and of course wine. And mocktails for minors. A casual night to mingle, enjoy the music, and sip on some wines. And of course they have Valentine's Day gift packs. You want to get in touch with Danielle Stedman, the Chief Gifting Officer at Mount Boucherie. And the latest library release is the 2018 Merlot. All the details can be found at mountboucherie.com. This is a Tasting Room Radio, a year 17. I'm Terry David Mulligan, year 81. I have John Weber, who I won't ask how old he is. Uh, he's the uh, co-founder and the uh, chief winemaker at Orofino in the Samilcamine Valley, friends. A great place to stop and camp for the night. Find a place. Find a reason to go to downtown Costin and stay for a while. Uh, so how's the wine business? How, how, how are things? There's so many things we could talk about. But this, yeah. this the reason why I'm, I'm getting you on, on Zoom and making you clean up a bit is that I saw a post that you sent to all of us out here. It was shooting down into a work area, and you were at a bench surrounded by uh, equipment and you were looking for bud damage. In other words, you had to, I would assume, cut into all of the buds and have a look at them and see what was going on because of a deep freeze that happened. So that's two years in a row that that's happened. The first one killed a lot of vineyards. How, what did this one do? What, what did you find? What was the result? Yeah, so the goal of that exercise was to find out um, the, if how many buds we have alive after a two-day or a two-night deep freeze. Uh, that happened um, earlier this month, and uh, so what we what we did is we cut some vines in various blocks and we put them uh, in our in warmer temp temperatures in some water for a couple of days, and then 
we take uh, razor blades to them and we cut, we slice them um, and try to see if you can find any green. So in a bud, in a, in a grapevine, there's actually three opportunities for the vine to, to pop its bud. There's a primary, secondary, tertiary. And um, so we have three chances. It's a pretty amazing plant and, and pretty resilient plant as well. But unfortunately, what we found is that uh, all three of those buds um, were uh, toasted in that, in that uh, freeze. So um, yeah, we're close to about 100% bud death. Uh, doesn't really matter the varietal either. But the vines are okay? You know, the vines look really great, actually. Like, the, there's so much healthy green in the canes. And, I mean, this is the second year in a row we've had to deal with this sort of thing. And, and I can say that last year at this time when we were doing this exercise, the buds did not look great either. Um, but the canes themselves looked in much worse shape last year than they do this year. So what that means for us going forward is I'm not exactly sure, but I think I have to think that that's a good sign that somewhere along the way that plant will um, be able to pop a couple of buds in order to survive the season and we can move on next year, hopefully with the back to getting some crop off. Uh, can you, you? I know you're speaking on behalf of uh, Orofino. Uh, how about your neighbors? Same thing? Uh, yeah, the word around the Similkameen Valley, and um, as far as I know, pretty much up and down the Okanagan, we're all looking at about 100% bud death. Good so word. it's pretty hard to find, uh, it'll be pretty hard to find a, a cluster of grapes this season. Um, last year, it was a little bit spotty. There were some places that, that actually did yeah. fared okay, and others not so well. Unfortunately, the Similkameen last year also took a big hit. Um, but this year, it doesn't seem to be so indiscriminate. Um is yeah. there any varietal that seems hardy enough? I heard in the last, in the first one, I heard that Riesling somehow survived, had had things going for it. Yeah, so far, like it doesn't look like our Riesling, and we have vines that are anywhere from 15 years old to 35 years old, and it doesn't look like their buds were any hardier uh, and survived any better than anything else. Um, we, we did get some grapes last year. Um, and vines are a pretty amazing plants. So, you know, we're still holding out that we're, we're going to have some life. But as far as grapes go, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, Riesling's hardier than most. Yes. Hmm. Farming's hard. I think most people see the glamour of farming. I don't think they think about the farm or the farming or the people who made it. They just, it's the one. I don't, I can't blame them. Yeah. There's enough things to be worried about. However... Uh, I, I would, if you're watching this, you guys, I would really like you to think about the farmers behind the wines. You may see the big wine companies, like the the big ones, who are, are always there on shelves. But most of these farmers and farms are very small, and it's their entire livelihood. It's it's in all of their life's investment in these vineyards. So what happens to those vineyards is everything. And so that's why I talk to people like John Weber or if you know about what's going on down there and how does it, and he reflects what's going on throughout the entire wine industry in the Okanagan. Boy, they got some problems. Whoa. Um, survival is the way around it. I don't, how, there is no, how can you protect uh, vines from 
from cold. I mean, I know in years past for frost, they had the windmills, they had uh, smoke uh, fire pots. Is there any way? Uh, there's lots of different opportunities there are a few opportunities to, to, to change things up. I mean, there's a lot of talk about geotextiles these days where that would mean a complete change in the infrastructure of the vineyard, um, where the plants would be growing, like say 12 inches off the ground. And then in the winter, we, uh, you cover them with a, with a fabric that, that helps to insulate them and drop or raise the temperature two or three degrees, which is perhaps just enough to save them. Um, the cost is astronomical, um, but it, that's an option. Um, the other windmills, they do at certain times can help at certain temperatures, but minus 27, it's, uh, it's a, not a, not a winning perspective. Um, I guess the other thing that the industry needs to, needs to talk a little bit about is, um, actually the varietals that are planted, whether or not, um, hybrids have to come into play here. Um, we're talking two years in a row where um, Vitis vinifera have been hammered. Um, cold hardy hybrids might have to be looked at again. Um, I'm not super excited about those because at the end of the day, I'm producing wine. Um, so there's a big curve there, learning curve for, for Joe Public to be wanting to drink hybrids instead of Chardonnay, Riesling, and okay. Cabernet. All right. This is uh, Tasting Room Radio. I'm Terry David Mulligan. I have John Weber. He's the uh, co-founder and the uh, chief winemaker at Orofino in the Samokamine Valley, friends. I don't mean to depress it, people with this uh, conversation. I just wanted to have it. I just wanted to know. I wanted people to know what you guys are up against. That's it. Okay, so John, let me do some wine business for a second. Have you got stuff you're releasing now yeah. that we can tell people about? Yeah, we're, I mean, last year with the curveball that was dealt us, we, we, we made a really good, I think what is a, was a really good plan. We've got some, some wines, uh, in the cellar and, uh, we'll be releasing this spring, um, that we're really, really, really pleased with. And, and some have already won, uh, medals at the nationals for us. And, and I know that they'll be well received. Um, so there's that, uh, and we're just making plans on how to 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 make sure that everybody knows that we're still here. We're still offering the the terrific experience um, at Orfino. The Similkameen Valley is still open. Um, you know, our our the plans that we have for for uh, elevated tastings and experiences here at Orfino are just getting. You know, we're doing that work. We're right. we're, we're making sure that people are are are, are going to have a fantastic time when they come and the sweets are really popular sweets uh the two sweets that we have and then the new guest vineyard guest house um as well right beside the winery uh we have some really great plans for that including perhaps uh some elevated dinners uh private chef sort of thing we've we've got some things in the works we're not sitting still we're, <laughs> we're making plans okay this is a complete aside i'm going to a, a local group dinner Friday, Meg and I, uh, they are wine people, food and wine people. Some people actually, actually in the wine business and the food business. The, the meal has been described as, um, like, uh, Alsace or Swiss charcuterie plate with, with, um, 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 sauerkraut. This so, is called charcut garni. There. Th ah, thank you very much. Thank you. Well done. 
<laughs> yeah. So uh, I was going to take a Riesling. So Meg went out and got uh, the, your clone 21B. Is this going to work? Oh, yeah. That's a, that's what I would bring. That's got a little bit of sweetness to it. And it'll uh, it'll just it'll cut through the, the 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 sour of the sauerkraut, and you'll probably have some smoked pork hocks or something like that in there, sure. and it'll be like, oh, bang! You've been there. I can tell from yeah. the look. You look like a genius. My other <laughs> choice was our friends at Tantalus. Well, hell yeah, that's always good too. Bring them both, man. I think I will. That's exactly what we're going to. I think we're going to take them both and cover both ends against the middle. Wonderful. Excellent. We'll be the bells of the party. Oh, my God. You'll like like you know what you're doing. Say, John, what's the plan going forward? What we need, Terry, is we need uh, some direction from our government um, Mm. sooner than later. That's the most important thing. We just need to know what we can do going forward. Um, We have... We have uh, em- employees that we are considering. We need to know if we're going to be able to uh, maybe have some alterations to temporary alterations to our winery license that would allow us to go buy some grapes down in our neighbors in Washington, Yes, which is like less than four hours away from us um, and quite similar terroir. And I would be uh, not ashamed to have to go and do that in order to survive. And um, as long as it's a temporary move and everyone is crystal clear about the source of where they're getting them from, as in Washington wine, Transparent. Um, which I would be more than happy to do, uh, I think it's a very viable option. And it sure beats not having any grapes to... This is true. Uh, two things that I know. One thing is there was grumbling when we were uh, shooting Hollywood and Vines uh, down in Walla Walla that um, they were buying grapes from Oregon mm. and bringing them back across the border. And they were mumbling about that a lot. Mumbles about, well, you can't do that. Stay with Washington. And the other thing is they're growing in our soil. Yeah. Yes. That, they're, that, was, they're... that was all the mud and crud and debris behind McIntyre Bluff. Yeah, right. Ended up in Walla Walla. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if and if not that, then something. They just I'm, we're just looking for some direction. Sure. We're looking for uh, we're looking for some help, but we're looking for some direction. And this hasn't happened in the last ten months, considering what happened last year. We haven't really had a lot of a uh, lot of help. And I'm not we're not looking for handouts. We're looking for help. And considering the amount of tax money that our industry brings in, the number of jobs that are connected with our industry, yeah. it's an investment that's worth making grapes from our neighbors or from Ontario or somewhere. Just okay. let us know what we can do. Okay. And then we can move forward and make plans and stay strong. Considering the money that the wine industry puts in the coffers of government and business. Roughly $400 million a year. There you go. They should be paying attention. What's your website, John? Uh, OrofinoVineyards.com. Okay. Yeah. Come and visit us in the Smil Kameen. Yes, sir. Thank you, John. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, Terry. Cheers. This segment of Tasting Room Radio is brought to you by Mount Boucherie Estate Winery. February the 13th, they're going to be watching the Era's Tour movie on the big screen over the loudspeakers. There'll be uh, Taylor trivia, nibbles from the modest butcher, and of course, wine. And mocktails for minors. A casual night to mingle, enjoy the music, and sip on some wines. And of course, they have Valentine's Day gift packs. You want to get in touch with Danielle Stedman. 
the chief gifting officer at Mount Boucherie. And the latest library release is the 2018 Merlot. All the details can be found at mountboucherie.com. Alexandro Nell has joined me uh, uh, here. He's been on the show before. Yeah, good morning, Terry. Thanks uh, for having me on the show again. I, I just said that uh, the show's been on the air for some 17 years. Where were you 17 years ago? 17 years ago. I was in Namibia, I think, at that, at that age. N- Namibia. Yes. We are going to be talking about the uh, Fort Barron's uh, 2022 Pinot Noir, yes. the 2021 Small Lot Merlot. I'm interested in that one. The uh, 2021 Cab Franc and the 2021 Meritage in an extravaganza with Alex Nell. I want to ask you about this growing season that uh, you just went through. Uh, it was a terror for some people. There's a lot of damage. It was the, there was a the deep freeze in December. Some damage was was done to certain vineyards that you were working with. Yeah, so we we experienced quite a quite a a lot of bud damage. Not so much uh, vine mortality. I think we only had one block where we lost about fifty percent of the vines in the Cabernet Sauvignon. But on average, it was an eight percent loss in vines. So nothing nothing too great. But our our yield was very very much impacted. We did uh, about forty percent of what we would normally do. I normally bring in about 120 tons from the estate. We did just under 50. I think that's kind of across the board for a lot of vineyards, isn't it? It's like, well, fortunately or unfortunately, everyone had suffered the same. Um, we did manage to source some fruit uh, for our classic wines, um, but it's definitely going to make a bit large impact on our Lillooet BKA wines, our reserves. A uh, very small vintage. Um, I saw a note here that the Merlot was the smallest crop in the last decade. Uh, for the vintage we've just gone through, yes, for the 2023. Was it the Merlot itself or was it where it was? Oh, it's the Merlot itself. It is uh, the most, well, even though it's the most most widely planted red in BC, it is also one of the most sensitive red varietals to cold. Sensitive. So it, it gave us our smallest crop. How, uh, your cab salve, how did it work out? We had 50% death in our vines, um, but we we immediately jumped the gun and we, we replanted. We managed to get some vines with the same uh, sky and in the same rootstock. We replanted them and uh, they actually grew very well. We had a nice long growing season, so we'll have to see how it's fed now through this winter. Last vintage was, I think, the most challenging vintage I've ever done um, in terms of deciding when to pick. With the cold damage, you get different uh, shoots growing, either a primary, secondary, or tertiary. Yeah. So they bud at different stages. So the fruit ripens at different stages. So I had blocks that were, you know, tasting great, ready to pick, but on the same vine right next to it, grapes that were still slightly underripe. So I'm trying to make that decision on call. When to pick was quite tricky. Um, I relied a lot more on taste this year than I normally do. The analysis did not align up with what we were tasting um, they taste super ripe at lower sugar levels so the 23 vintage is definitely a lower alcohol year um, and acids were also slightly lower let's lift our hearts here for a second and talk about wine your Pinot Noir oh I love this Pinot Noir and I really 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 gave it a chance to open up I walked around it I decanted it left it alone for a while gave it an hour or two Slightly chilled, because that's how I like my Pinot. That's the only way to drink Pinot. <laughs> it is the only way. 2022, uh, what clones were you working with? So this is uh, from two select sites, uh, in one in Naramata and one in uh, in Summerland. It's the first time I'm, I'm using the Summerland one. That's a combination of 115 and 777. Okay. 
Um, but what I like about the wine is I try to keep it uncomplicated. Um, sort of a blend between new and an old world style Pinot Noir. So you're going to pick up lots of dry, uh, bright fruits, um, some nice red berries, but also try and keep it a little bit earthy on the palate. So again, drink it slightly chilled. Um, really, really nice summer refresher that way. So great aperitif, but great with, you know, duck or something like that. Have you had a chance to drink um, some of the other Pinots being grown in uh, BC? Now that you say that, last night I had uh, a very, very, very good bottle of uh, Tantalus Pinot Noir Reserve 2020. Nice, nice choice. Which, uh, yeah, I, I struggled to share it with my wife. but. <laughs> <laughs> 794 cases, well done, 33 barrels. Um, you have the price point on that, uh, Alex? Uh, yeah, so Pinot Noir 34.99. Thank you. Fort Barron's, the Pinot Noir 2022. I'm Terry David Mulligan. He's Alessandro Nell, Alex Nell, the winemaker at uh, Fort Barron's in Lillooet. It's Fort Barron's Estate Winery. We are going to be talking about the Reds that they've released. The uh, Cab Franc, which had a, a battle with Mother Nature. The Meritage, the same thing. And the Small Lot Merlot. Is that the first small lot we've seen? For Merlot, yes. Right. Uh, why, uh, why Small Lot Merlot? Why was that chosen? Well, small lot range uh, just allows me to play around a little bit uh, with small parcels in the vineyard and in the winery and uh, do some experiments and see how they turn out. So we decided to make a small lot Merlot um, because we've got a quite a nice young block of Merlot on the property. And then we had a block of Merlot from 2009. So a mature vine and a young vine. So young vines are generally very, very fruit forward and aromatic. Well, the older vines are less aromatic, but have a lot of structure and complexity. So we decided to make a small lot Merlot and do a blend between the two, between the old and the new. Dark berries, light berries, very aromatic. Then you drink it and it's got some nice structure, some nice mouthfeel to it. Um, not a complicated wine either. Um, so no new oak on this again, just trying to lift the fruit more. But I am quite quite happy with how it turned out. So 100% Lillooet. 100% Lillooet. Almost a 50-50 blend between our old block and our and our, and our young vines. Will we see more small lot? Yeah, so I make uh, a small lot dry Riesling, okay. which is uh, from our old lot from our estate. Okay. Um, partially barrel fermented, partially stainless steel fermented, a natural ferment. Um, and then uh, we do the Grunewald, you know, also falls under our small lot range, as I only have, uh, you know, uh, one small, or actually eight rows of Gruner. And now the Merlot. Have your Cab Franc handy? I do. You know how much we love Cab Franc in this province. Not the first time I'm working with Cab Franc, but the first time I'm making 100% Cabernet Franc uh, varietals. Because it's, it's, it had always been used for blending. Yeah, generally blended uh, with Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot. Um, uh -huh. Sometimes Caminera and Malbec as well. So what but, was your your impression of a, a, a single vineyard Cab Franc all by itself in a bottle? I've really come to love this varietal. Yeah. Um, we do get a couple of single varietal uh, Cab Francs in South Africa, but they are very, very rare. And I think it's becoming quite fashionable there as well. I love the fact that it, it ripens easily up here in Lillooet. Yeah. Um, it gives you a little bit of spice, a little bit of sweet spice, violets. So quite aromatic. Also a tricky varietal to decide when to pick, in my opinion. It's the Pinot Noir of the, of the Bordeaux world. For those of you who like a red wine, any wine that when you open up, it, it gives you ripe black fruit, like like beautiful black fruit, the kind you would pick off of the bush and eat directly. That's what it's got on the nose here. It's got a wonderful minerality on the tail end 
in your mouth. It's just a beautiful, beautiful Cab Franc um, with a little bit of uh, just a dash of Cabernet Sauvignon off the top there. Um, over a thousand cases. Uh, price point? Uh, also thirty two ninety nine. Same okay. as the small lot. Well, there's enough of it going around. Look for the Cab Franc 2021 from Fort Barron's. And I want to get to the Meritage because it, it's going to, there's a tale to tell. The 2021 Meritage. Yes. A combination of new and used oak here? Uh, on this vintage, no new oak from second fall onwards. So so these are, again, this falls under our classic range. Sure. So I want the wines to be uncomplicated and fruit forward and easier to drink. They're more approachable. Nothing fussy. So wines, wines that you're not supposed to put away for 10 years to be able to enjoy the stuff. So... Uh, staying a little bit away from new oak, lifting the fruit. Um, yeah, so our classic Meritage is always mostly a Merlot-based uh, Bordeaux blend with uh, about a 50-50 Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc blended into it as well. Uh, again, uh, Alex, um, uh, the black fruit, ripe black fruit, I love that on the nose. I just love it. Plums, cranberries, uh, currants, a little bit of vanilla on that nose as well. Um uh, on the palate, um, uh, ch- dark chocolate, uh, uh, floral. I mean, it, it's everything that you want. How long would you lay this one down? If you didn't, if you if you didn't want to consume it for Friday night dinner. Yeah, I would say the best time is seven p.m. tonight. But um, <laughs> one to I like depending on the style of wine that you like. Uh, one to three years uh, in the style that we're making it. But otherwise, up to five years should be drinking phenomenally. 1,835 cases, uh, smaller bottle, half bottles as well. Uh, price point? $29.99. Okay. Uh, the Meritage, you can go and find it. Now, what's coming up for the small lots? Uh, well, the, uh, we are in a, in, a, in a difficult situation again, this vintage. We all know that the, the Okanagan and us received quite, quite cold temperatures um, two weeks ago. Yep. The bud dissections are not looking great at this stage, so we'll have to see what uh, this vintage has in store yes. for the for the BC wine industry. Okay. Um, I will probably do a Merlot again. Okay. And uh, I've got I made another dry reasoning last year. I adjusted some proportions of the barrel ferment and the the steel ferment so to just to bring some more complexity to the wine. So that one is slightly different. And then the Gruner, yep. because I had such a small vintage last year, I decided to barrel ferment it all. So I got five barrels, uh, natural ferment, whole cluster pressed. Um, so those will be the small lots, the Gruner, the dry, the reasoning, and another Merlot. I want to thank you for doing this, and um, uh, I can't wait to get up there and meet you. Thank you, Terry, for having me on again. I'll be going fishing somewhere, and we're going to stop in. That's what I'm going to do. Either, before, yes. either to the lake or after the lake. Thank Perfect. you, Alex. Thank you, Alex, for doing this. Have yourself a great year. You too. Thank you.